conflict in general comes from the background of two things striking together and we think conflict is bad. But on a construction project, conflict is actually essential. Teams that work well together are able to take a disagreement, keep it professional, and then work through to figure out what's best for the project. If you listen to engineers working through a problem, it's not all puppy dogs and rainbows. They are fighting for a good idea or advocating for what they believe is the correct safety factor or is the the better way to calculate a problem. And a construction project needs to be the same way. They want to share good ideas and they have to stick with it and work through it and be willing to figure out that someone else may be the knower, someone else may be right and go with the best solution for the project. Welcome, Trust Builders. I'm Sue Dyer, and this is Lead with Trust, where we explore how leaders can build their business on a foundation of trust and reap the rewards of becoming the top performer in their market. Leaders that understand how to use and leverage trust are uniquely positioned to disrupt their industry and dominate their market. Distrust of businesses and business leaders is at an all-time high. Trusted businesses must have trusted leaders, and your team, your customers, and your vendors are waiting for you to step up and elevate the level of trust in your business. My hope is that this podcast can help you start your trusted leader journey. Hey, trusted leaders, welcome to this episode of Lead with Trust. And I'm excited today to introduce you to a colleague of mine, Rob Ray, who is the president of Orgmetrics LLC. He is a partnering facilitator, mostly in construction, but I think the lessons that he has to share really apply anywhere and everywhere to every business. You're going to see in this episode that he's going to share some insights on really how to deal with your team when there is a conflict or how to build a really cohesive structure for your team. And I three things I walked away with from this that I think are really stood out for me as really important. And number one is you got to create one team and there needs to be a visionary for what that team is going to try to achieve. The second thing is that you got to have a clear decision maker, decision making process so that teams can get an answer and that answer sticks because the team can only go as fast as they can get an answer. And a lot of the conflict really happens around not being able to get the answer, not agreeing on the answer, not moving forward with the answer. And then the last thing I thought that from this episode that really stood out to me was really about creating public-private partnerships with a high trust intent. And I think that that would be so dramatic for uh, both the public and the private sector to create more partnerships where we're sharing knowledge and sharing information and helping each other to be better because the trust levels, according to the Edelman Trust Barometer, are continuing to go down, particularly in the public sector. And the public sector is looking for ways to improve. I think uh, getting a partner with a private sector would be a phenomenal thing that could be 
really transformational. So those are what I walked away with. And I hope that you will enjoy this episode with Rob Ray, uh, who is the president of Orgmetrics and has been doing partnering facilitation for about 11 years now. He was the executive director of the International Partnering Institute. He holds a master's degree in alternative dispute resolution and uh, is just really a remarkable person who helps many, many, really hundreds of teams. And so let's listen in. Well, welcome, Rob Ray, to Lead with Trust. Thank you. It's so great to have you here. For those of you who don't know, Rob and I have worked together for about 10 years, 11 years now. And uh, he actually bought my business of 35 years, Orgmetrics. So uh, he's near and dear to my heart and also one of the top experts in the world. And I thought, well, we need to have him here so we can learn from him. So welcome. And uh, I start off all these interviews with a very weird question about uh, what group did you hang out with in high school? In high school, I had a close group of friends. And um, by junior and senior year, we sat on a bench that was between the quad where the popular group sat and the lockers where everybody went. And there was a small group of us and it was like the funniest conversations that I've ever been involved with. And all of us were sort of, um, there was a combination of athletes and guys who were really high into their academics. So we were kind of a fringe group who was going between different groups. And I feel like I've kind of been like that throughout my entire life. Like on the sports teams that I would play on, I was one of the more academic people on that in, in that team. So I've always been kind of an observer. And with that bench crew, we literally were observers of humanity in high school. And I think that's such a perfect thing and absolutely is connected to what I do today. It's so fun to think about that. I don't, I don't think I would have thought about that, that what I was doing in high school was really will play out the rest of my life, but it's so fun to think about that and watch it. So yeah, yeah, because yeah. it is what you do. Absolutely. And in high school, like I helped pilot the mediation program for, so there you have uh, it. for high school, right? <laughs> and so like I played two varsity sports um, and dressed up in a necktie, you know, about a third of the days in, in high school. And so, you know, did AP classes and the whole bit. So it was kind of this combination of wanting to be really excellent in academics and also in athletics, and then got really interested in learning about mediation from a very young age and just really enjoyed helping people through communication. But it's interesting because you also became a professional athlete. So that was sort of a, you picked a lane for a while anyway. Yeah, I think it bodes well for people that really get deeply interested in something. And with it, as an athlete, that's what I learned over time is that becoming excellent in anything is really in mastery of the details and the mundane. You have to have really, really, really good fundamentals. And as an athlete, that's what I ended up working on. It's funny, when you're a professional athlete, you have extra time. So you work on rest, you work on looking at video, and you work on basics like what is your footwork going to be? What are the small movements? How do I breathe? What is my eye movement like? And you can apply that to any skill. And I've done that with mediation and now partnering facilitation. I've become really obsessed with 
the craft, and I love learning new skills and developing new characteristics that will help me get better. So I always like to tinker and I tend to get obsessed with things over a long, durable sense of time, which is probably why I've been with my wife for so long. We joke that it's good to marry a nerd because we love one thing for a really long time and that bodes well for relationships as well. I married a nerd too. And he always tells me it's uh, that he loves me and it stands until he tells me differently. (laughs) (laughs) And I would say that's probably true. (laughs) So one of the things that Rob has done is been uh, willing to be a bit of a guinea pig here. And uh, he has taken the trusted leader profile And we are going to walk through a little bit of that here today and do some uh, overview of what what is it telling us? What is it telling him? So he has taken this profile and his primary style, which is graph number one, is that he is a good leader. And in his secondary style, which shows his perceived style of leading, he is also a good leader. So that's good. The styles are the same. But when you look at the continuum between fear and trust on graph one, his normal style of leading, his primary style, he is in the column of of trusted leader. And in his perceived style of leading, he is in the good leader style. So you can see that his actual style of leading actually creates higher level of trust than what he thinks it is, because he's thinking it's only at the good level. So again, probably shows you striving to be better, but the perception is that he's actually better than he thinks. In the next column, which is between punishment and choice, in his primary style, he's in the good leader. And in the perceived style, he's in the trusted leader style. So in this case, he thinks he's better than he is. (laughs) So there's not quite as much choice people are feeling that they're, they're accepting of choice as he thinks they are, but it's, it's still very high. And then the next one, which is between coercion and cohesion on his graph one, the primary style, he drops down to capable manager on his perceived style. He's at good manager. So he is, his actual style is less than what he perceives. And so this would be, again, those gaps that you look at where you're what you think you're doing and what you're actually doing is a little different. And so those are the areas to dive into deeper and look at, well, what is that telling me? And what can I do to get them in alignment? And remember, this is a journey and it's a snapshot. So it's not, you know, there's no absolutes here, but it definitely is a good measure of what's happening. Then the next part of the parameters here is between compliance and commitment. And on graph one, he is a good leader. And on graph two, he is a good leader. Those are totally in alignment. So we're good here. The only thing you would do is be thinking about what would I do to move to the next level? And in the instrument, you get a you get a trust level also. And that trust level is between one and 15. So that kind of tells you even within your style, where are we at? And am I moving along into a higher level of trust? The next 
parameters is between stifled and creativity. And on graph one, he is a good leader. And on graph two, he is a trusted leader. So he thinks he's creating more creativity than he is. So there's that, that would be another gap. It's not a big gap, but it's a little gap. Rigidity and improvements, the next parameters. And on graph one, his actual leadership style, he is a trusted leader. And in his perceived, he is a good leader. Again, this is a gap in the other direction where he's actually doing better than he thinks with that. And the last one, which is between failure and growth in his first graph, he is a good leader. And in his perceived leadership, he is down to a capable manager. So again, a big leap between what you perceive and how you're actually doing. So you can see these gaps go both ways. Some of them you're actually doing better than you think. Well, that's like, yay. And in some of them, you're not doing quite as well as you think. And those are the gaps you probably want to focus on, but it gives you very specific things that you can do to work forward. And so now that you've looked at this a little bit, Rob, on those gaps you have, what did this kind of tell you? What came up for you? What kind of things would you think you might want to do? Just give us a couple, one thing or two things. Yeah, I think there's a couple of items that uh, this kind of revealed to me. One thing that I've been learning just in working with you is I'm very comfortable when I know my role and I'm in charge of something, right? Like if I can lead from the chair, uh, when I led an organization, when I'm a partnering facilitator and I'm leading a meeting, I'm very comfortable leading from the front. That can be an influencer role. That can be a direct kind of control role. What I'm realizing, and this is revealing, is that when I'm not in direct control, how to be a leader from the back or from the side is a skill that I definitely need to continue to work on. The other piece was, it looks like I think I'm creating an environment for creativity that is higher than I'm actually getting based on my style, which is something that um, is very important to me. I want to create an atmosphere of trust where people can come out and build a creative solution to problems. And the other piece was just about cohesion. Just in, in my style, I think by nature, I'm a teacher. And so I tend to want to teach people one-on-one. I tend to work on individual capacity and working individually with folks from the team, like key performers from the team. If it's the project managers or senior manager, I work with them one-on-one in order to expand their own personal capacity, which helps the team. What I'm not doing is working on the cohesion of the bigger group. So I'm investing more time in the individuals in order to get better performance than the broader team. And this is a reminder that I can get farther by actually focusing more energy on building the cohesive team, whether that's more team building activity or creating more alignment around the tasks they're working on and the why behind it, I think will help us go farther faster. So this is a really helpful analysis to kind of reveal the stuff I think I'm doing versus what I'm actually putting out in the world. That's cool. And it's very, I think you're very insightful, which I know you are. And uh, so thanks for being a guinea pig and going through that. And I love it. I think it's a very powerful. And there's many parts to this too, that we're not going to go through today because I want to have a chance to actually talk to Rob yeah. about the cool stuff he does. 
And uh, he, as he said, was a partnering facilitator, mostly on construction, large, complex construction projects. And so he walks in as a neutral, a lot of times into kind of a mess. You know, might be conflict, might be unknowns, they're structured so that you can't even figure out who's doing what. So tell us, what do you do when you walk into like a conflict situation? How do you deal with that? And what role does trust play in that? Trust is essential when you're walking into a conflict situation. And so in construction, we have lots and lots of opportunities for conflict. And I find there's constructive conflict and there's destructive conflict. And that's one of the areas to start. So conflict in general, comes from the background of two things striking together and we think conflict is bad. But on a construction project, conflict is actually essential. Teams that work well together are able to take a disagreement, keep it professional, and then work through to figure out what's best for the project. If you listen to engineers working through a problem, it's not all puppy dogs and rainbows. They are fighting for a good idea or advocating for what they believe is the correct safety factor or is the the better way to calculate a problem. And a construction project needs to be the same way. They want to share good ideas and they have to stick with it and work through it and be willing to figure out that someone else may be the knower, someone else may be right and go with the best solution for the project. And sometimes that costs people time and money. And usually that's where we as partnering facilitators come in is because their business is financially hurt or they're at risk and they're not sure whether the other party will be fair when they go out on a limb. And so trust is really important when we're delivering construction projects because we have hundreds and thousands of transactions every day with different key players within a project team. And so how the team approaches conflict is really important. It's kind of a, a long way around saying, sometimes you walk into a project and they're, they're sideways. They have some kind of an issue. Usually they're bound up around one technical issue or there's a big disagreement about a schedule. Maybe they ran into something they weren't anticipating. And in that case, my role as a partnering facilitator really is a, a neutral, is to be somebody who can help reframe the problem the team has run into. That's the first step is they are having a conflict around some specific issue. And so what I want to do is change from the team advocating and repeating their same argument over and over and over again, which is what happens. You'll have a contractor say, this is what I think happened. Owner, you should own this. You need to have this issue. You owe me money for it. And the owner will say, no, no, no. If you read the documents correctly, you own this. This is your problem. The challenge is they're going back and forth and they're using a lot of energy and they're wasting a lot of words and they're wasting a lot of time composing emails and looking at specifications, but they're not actually solving the problem. And when there's conflict on a project, it's a really basic thing. It comes from kindergarten. It's you lied to me or my expectations weren't met or You said, I thought you were going to do something different, or you're not doing it the way I wanted you to. It's really, really basic stuff. And so as the neutral, the first thing we've got to do is talk about the elephant in the room. Hey, we have a disagreement here. And then we want to focus all of their energy 
that's been pushing the problem to their other person and make them realize that the only way to solve it is by coming together and the path through is by working together to solve the problem in a fair way. And that's what we can do, that's our power. So the first thing we have to do is get really curious about the problem itself. And I love diving into the details and having them teach me what the problem is. And oftentimes as the facilitator or the neutral, that's really what we can get them to do, is we get them to look at the problem and explain it in a different way in order to figure out what their agreements are and what their disagreements are. That's basically how you can end up, they end up framing it in a different way because you're able to get them to see and listen to each other maybe, huh? Yeah, it's a slight shift because really what you want them to do is shift from the mode of repeating their same argument over and over again to sharing how they're interpreting it. And just that acknowledgement that it's my interpretation and then you have your own interpretation and they both can be perfectly valid, they're just different, means we have an opportunity to figure out which parts we agree on. And that's our trust. The trust is little agreements done consecutively in a row. And so helping a team through a conflict is really about figuring out where they agree and what are the elements they disagree on and separating those and then creating a forum for them to solve the technical problem and then figure out a fair way to make each party as whole as possible from then on out. That seems like that process could help any business leader of any kind of business of any size, because you're going to have same similar things happen, whether it's with a customer, with your own team, with a vendor, it, it could have, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when and what, and to what extent, uh, probably what you're doing is just a lot more complex because you got lots and lots and lots of players, but it's the same methodology, I suppose you could use. Yeah. So, so tell, we're talking about partnering, tell them what partnering is. Sure. So partnering is a process that we apply to large, complex construction projects, and you can use it on any project, really. But what we do is we, as a neutral, are a consultant to the owner, the person who's building something, the contractor or builder, the people who are going to put it together, and the architect, the person who takes the owner's needs and imagines it and puts it out in the air and turns it into a three-dimensional building. And to me, that's the magic of construction and why I love this industry so much is because we actually get to drive by through and on the stuff we build. It's super rewarding because we actually get to see it. We can visit the projects we work on. It's so cool. And they're there for 20, 30, 40 years till we knock it down and rebuild it or remodel it. And as a partnering facilitator, what we are doing is reminding the team that they're all on the same team. It's the only way they can build a project because they rely on each other. And I'm gonna borrow heavily from Sue, who basically taught me everything I know, that they're interdependent on each other. The owner needs a contractor to build it, the contractor needs a designer and architect to put it together. And we need engineering so it stays safe. And when an earthquake happens in California, the building or the freeway will stay, it'll stand up, right? And so as the facilitator, what we do is we help them focus on the same set of goals, because we have one project, one set of goals. We craft a process to help them work through disputes. So when they run into something where they don't know the answer or they disagree about what the fair way to resolve it is, 
They have a tool already. And the other thing is we help them build relationships because when the only time that I call you is if Sue, the only time I talk to you is when we had a problem or a dispute or like we had a $500,000 disagreement. And that's the only time I'm like, hey, Sue, we got a problem. That's not a relationship, right? That's just two people arguing about money. And it's really important as a project team to set up really a board of advisors for this big capital project so we can get decisions and so we have relationships which we will need. I heard a great quote the other day. It's always good to have a friend before you need one. And to me, that's really what partnering is about. Because on construction projects, we always need a friend. And it's very common for people to sue each other. And on a construction project, it's really destructive to sue each other because the project gets built. And then two years later, you end up at court and you end up settling it because they almost never go before a judge or a jury. And so in construction, it's really destructive to have to go to litigation. And so that's really our task as the partnering facilitators to make sure the team is reminded that they have the tools to deliver the project, they know how to solve their issues, and they have a third party to come in and help them if they have a sticky issue they gotta work through, or ideally to remind them that they're a team and to help build up the individuals who are building the project. So we can support Give, give us an example of a time when you've gone into a project and they, you know, or you're working on a project and you have, they have a problem and the partnering process that you're, you're explaining what happened, how did it play out? Yeah. Uh, I recently went into a team. They had a very fast track schedule. The owner had a very severe consequence. If they couldn't open the building in time, it was a remodel project. They had to move really, really quickly. And as happens in the Bay area, a lot um, what they thought they could afford when they put the project out was not what they could afford by the time they got to contract. And this happens all the time, especially right now in our marketplace, where you put up $50 million for a project and you think you're buying X, and then you put it out to the market and the market says, no, 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 it's going to cost way more than that. And so you can only afford much less. You can only afford Y. And then we have a problem right? Because the money that I set aside and I talked to my board to get is not what I'm actually going to receive. So that what I proposed and what I was told I was going to get is not what I'm going to get. So what's a fair way to work through that? That is what partnering can really help with. And so we had a team that was really struggling through what is the scope going to be. And what partnering did was we created an executive group who said, these are our decision makers. We put somebody in charge because the team had been struggling for two months. They couldn't get a design because they couldn't agree on what they wanted to build, right? And once they agreed on what they wanted to build, we put someone in charge of decisions. And then we created a way that she would be able to make decisions every week. And so finally, the design started pacing and we started getting decisions and the scope got better and the team got better. And then they put the bids out on the market and it turned out they did a great job with their procurement. They ended up affording even more than they thought they could. And the team got better and better and better and better along the way. And ultimately, they made the deadline. So they were able to move into this remodel project. And they accomplished it way faster than anybody believed they could. And they saved millions and millions of dollars in rent for the, the agency. And a lot of it had to do with we have wasted energy and a bad structure at the, at the beginning. They solved it. 
And it was great to see this talented team just blossom once they got aligned. So that's a big part of what partnering can do. Yeah, one of the things I know I've seen on uh, hundreds of projects, and I think it's true in business itself, team members get frustrated because they can't get a decision. Either they don't know who the decision maker is, they just aren't getting a decision, or the decision that they get is in conflict with someone else who made a different decision, or the decision that was made doesn't stick. So I, I kind of always think that, you know, people can only go as fast as they can get good decisions. So talk about what you see in structuring teams for success. What are the, what are some of the attributes of really great teams you've seen and how were they structured? Great question. In construction, we have a, a benefit and a, it's kind of a value and a curse, right? In construction, it tends to be really hierarchical. So you have people with a title that means they're in charge. And then within an organization, you have kind of level layers of chain of command. So that's how most construction projects are set up. In reality, that's not always how the team operates. And so as a team, what's really important is to figure out who is the individual who's kind of the visionary, who's the owner of this construction project. If I'm building a building, if I'm building a hospital, if I'm building a roadway, it's really helpful to understand who has the vision that the team can follow. And if we don't have one, we kind of need to anoint one because it's really helpful to have one cohesive vision. And the other thing is construction projects are made up of hundreds of people from thousands of different entities, right? You have many, many, many people working on one thing. And so being able to clarify what the goal is and what's most important is really valuable because if everybody understands it, they'll be bought into it and it's more cohesive. So in terms of structure, what we want to do is identify who is kind of the visionary, who's the primary decision maker going to be on behalf of the builder and the architect and the owner organization. And then we want those people to meet and set up a way to get to a decision. And what Sue said is really important. Durability of decisions is critical because that means we can take your word. We can trust you that you're gonna deliver to us direction. And what people often forget is they try to get a perfect decision. So they go very slowly in construction, not realizing that every day when a crane's out there and we have hundreds of people in out on working in the field, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars a day and so getting decision-making, even imperfect decisions that you can then reverse is better than sitting back and trying to wait for a perfect decision. So it's really important to have a conversation as a team about what is the decision we need to make and when do we need it? And when they can do that, that builds trust and means they can build momentum, which helps them get lift off and build the job. That's awesome. I think that applies ev everywhere. You know, one of the things I know you've heard me say is that uh, the killer of projects, the killer of businesses is complexity, because with complexity, you, you begin to get chaos and it's very hard to manage the complexity. So if it's you know, two people talking, you've got two lines of communication. And when you get to 10, you, you've got like, you know, 75 lines of communication. When you get to 20, you've got like almost 200 lines of communication. It's just, it gets harder and harder and harder to communicate. 
and to talk to each other. So yeah, I think, you know, I think you're a master at managing, helping teams melt away complexity. And I think all, all teams have that. If you're small, you have less of it, but uh, you may not be as adept at managing it. So it may be actually still a killer for you. So mm-hmm. it's it's hard to uh, to know what to do. So what's org metrics going to be uh, doing in the next uh, over this year that you think will be new and different and exciting? And uh, what are you most excited about with the business? Excited about a couple of things. Um, I've been working with a, uh, a very high-profile private development um, called the Mission Rock Program, um, and that's been a foray into working with a public and private partnership that's in the city and county of San Francisco with my favorite baseball team, the San Francisco Giants. So, you know, six-year-old Rob's been thrilled to be able to work with a class organization on a really exciting program. And to me, I feel like that's an important uh, and valuable place where partnering can play is in these public and private partnerships. As Sue just said, the enemy of a project is complexity. And when we're working with many different organizations, um, decision-making becomes harder and there's a lot of layers to work through. Um, and that team's just doing fantastic. They've, um, they've done a great job and they're working on creating a model for how to deliver a capital program. Um, and it's been really rewarding and fun to work with a group like that. Also, I'm giving a series of workshops. I'm getting to teach folks about conflict management. So I'm going to be giving a couple of trainings uh, for United Contractors, one to project leaders and one to the general group about how to think like a mediator and teach your staff the skills to break down a problem. Because usually when we have conflict in the field or if we have conflict in a boardroom, it's the same stuff. And the process we use to help them navigate that is almost exactly the same. There's a communication stage. We got to figure out what the problem is and what's happening from each side. There's a negotiation stage where we actually need to find out what each party needs. Ultimately, there's a bringing it together. So closing that negotiation gap and getting to an agreement and then writing that up in a way we can both remember. So um, teaching these skills that we use in mediation and communication to help the construction industry, to me, is super exciting. So those are the two of them that I'm really excited about. That's fine. What stuck out of my mind when you're talking about public-private partnerships is that um, the Edelman Trust Barometer, they just came out with a new one for 2022. And uh, the news for uh, government leaders is that there's less trust now this year. And it was the worst last year ever. It's even worse this year. And that uh, there's, there's not, you know, trust for, for government is lower than for business. And that the hope is that business leaders will step up and help. So this, I think a public private partnership concept might be the answer to really helping to improve the way that uh, the government trust levels are and, and to in, uh, increase the, uh, what they're able to accomplish. So I think that sounds like really important stuff. So yeah. give us one thing that the listeners, the leaders that are listening today can do to increase the level of trust in their teams? I'm going to give you two things. The first is uh, there's a great book I read the other day, and I've been listening to the audio book, and it's called The Trusted Leader. 
and it's by uh, Sue. And honestly, it's a great investment of time. I would highly recommend it because it takes about four hours. And if you audiobook like I do and set it to 1.2 time, then it's about three and a half. And it's a great way to get some reminders about what are the critical skills we need as leaders. The other thing is invest time in aligning the team around a goal. Something that I missed from my background in athletics. When I was an athlete, the goal was really clear. And I missed that. The goal was win a championship or win a league tournament or win this tournament. Or we were, it was very clear what we were striving to do. In business, it's less clear. And with a construction project team, the nice thing is there's a set of goals that we can go towards if we invest time in aligning around that target. And it's a reminder for me that partnering works not just on construction projects, it works on a business initiative, it works internally within an organization because the principles are the same. You figure out a goal, you figure out the path to get there, and you ask your people for their collective wisdom of how they think they should get there because the knowledge is in the room. And so really that's what we're doing is we're leveraging our people to help us create a vision. And we can be very, very focused on one goal, one vision, getting one thing done and doing it really, really well. And having them figure us figure out the path to get there, which may be kind of a winding one. So that's, I think the big lesson for me is the durability of your vision is really important and then flexibility of the process to get there. Is really I think that's awesome. So how can people get a hold of you if they uh, want to find out more? They can get a hold of me by visiting our website, uh, www.orgmet.com. We have a newsletter. I write a lot about trust and about projects and about teams I'm proud of and about things I'm just curious and interested in. So getting involved and joining our newsletter is a great way to do it. Or you can email me directly or see me on LinkedIn. My last name is hard to spell but it's, you can Google me and find my LinkedIn. It's Rob, R-O-B. Last name is Ray, R-E-A-U-G-H. Um, and you'll find me there. We'll put that information in the show notes so everybody can just drop down to the show notes where they're listening to this podcast. I want to thank you so much for being a guest, Rob, and a guinea pig too. Thank you so much. Appreciate you always. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lead with Trust and that wherever you're listening to this podcast, you will subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, send it to someone who you think can really use this message that you got today. And also, please leave us a review. You know, your honest review wherever you listen to your podcast would be much appreciated. And of course, the more reviews we get, the better they are, the better for the podcast. I'm truly on a mission to get more and more people to understand that trust is the essential element. So I hope you'll be part of that. You know, this show really exists to help you leaders to build your business on a foundation of trust so that you can reap the rewards of becoming that top performer in your market. I see over and over where no one can possibly reach the levels of those people that understand how to build a high trust culture in their business. Now today, if you're really curious about starting your trusted leader journey, you can get started right away if you just take the free trusted leader profile and you can learn where you fall along the 
trusted leader continuum. And this really can unlock your confidence on where you are and what you need to do. It's very specific on what you can do. Gives you a snapshot of your leadership style. So if you want to take that, just go to www.sudico.com and then forward slash profile, and you will get immediate access to the trusted leader profile. Once again, that is www.sudico.com forward slash profile. All right, that's a wrap. I just can't wait to hang out with you again on our next episode.